Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. Our guest on this episode is Delilah Bartlett. Delilah, who is now a successful manager at United Airlines, is also the founder of The Leader Appears, which provides executive coaching for life, career, or ministry. Additionally, Delilah has created and produces a vlog and daily devotional called Delilah's Downloads that offers encouragement and inspiration. As a child growing up in Chicago in the 1970s and 80s, Delilah thrived academically in a community where she felt safe under the watchful eyes of friends and neighbors. However, as a teenager, Delilah dropped out of high school and became a single mom at the age of 19, requiring her to go on welfare. In this episode, Delilah will share how her determination and faith and support from others helped her to excel in her career and experience healing in her relationships. She will also tell how she now uses the lessons she's learned to help others to avoid pitfalls, realize their potential, and chase their possible. I'd now like to welcome Delilah Bartlett to our show. Welcome, Delilah. Thanks, James. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're really glad to have you here as well. It's good to be here. Delilah, I want to start off by asking you, where were you born and raised, and what can you tell us about your family's roots? Uh, Born and raised. So I was born in the 70s on the west side of Chicago. For me, coming up as an only child, only grandchild, only a lot of things, I didn't really have a good understanding or appreciation for where I grew up until I got older. The neighborhood I grew up in uh, had some uh, multiple um, kind of dwelling apartment buildings, but for the most part, it was it, w- it was homes. And so it felt, for me, it felt more middle class um, than it actually was. Um, there was a safety growing up, predominantly Black neighborhood uh, where I grew up. And um, there was a safety there that I didn't quite understand um, to be a privilege at that time, understanding some of the other uh, neighborhoods that may have neighbored ours. So I grew up on the west side of Chicago, uh, but I went to Catholic school that was about 10 miles away from where I grew up. Um, At the age of nine, I found myself on public transportation to get to this school. You know, my, my family hustled really hard to come up with money to send me there on a, with a monthly tuition. So while I grew up on the west side of Chicago, I found myself um, from kindergarten to eighth grade um, being schooled in one of the prestigious neighboring suburbs of Chicago. You mentioned safety. Can you go into that a little more for us? Yeah, so it's, it's so interesting. Safety and community is what came to mind when I said that. And so when I, when I grew up, you know, all the neighbors knew one another. Um, I knew my neighbors to each side of me, to the front of me, to the back of me. The adults on the block, what we would call our block, right, would all know each child and would have permission to, um, to speak to each child, be, be it rearing them or celebrating them. And, that, you know, they, they made sure that we were safe. Um, they made sure that we were safe from ourselves as well as anyone outside of the block because they paid attention. As a mother now, I know, you know, that that's, that's something that, you know, was a value that I didn't understand, you know, as I was coming up as 
not a lot of folks know each other nowadays. The neighbors, you can live in the same block and you have no idea who's who. Um, and, and that kind of minimizes the safety that your, your children can have when there's not a community. And so where I came up, although we may have not had the greatest of everything, we had a safe community. That's nice. So uh, if somebody had to be doing something, they kind of knew their neighbor had their eye open for their kids and stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, and that could be, um, depending on your perspective or who you are in that scene, that could be a good or bad thing. I can, I definitely know stories of things, times that I've gotten caught and what it wasn't necessarily by my family, but by the neighboring family that I was held accountable. <laughs> yeah, you, you had to really be on the lookout for who's watching you, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that sounds, like a, that sounds like a really nice environment to grow up in. I wanna ask you about your family roots. Now, you grew up in Chicago. Was your family from Chicago for a long time? Did they come from another area of the country? Yeah, you know, probably like a, a lot of black people. My family is from the South. Mm -hmm. um, and so specifically for, I'm going to speak to my mom's side of the family. Um, didn't have a strong relationship with my dad. Um, so I know more about my mom's side of the family uh, from Greenwood, Mississippi. Oh. And yeah. And my grandma, my grandma came from Greenwood. My mom was born in Greenwood. Um, and so my, my mom probably was a teenager when they, um, when they came north to Chicago. And so my family's originally from Greenwood, Mississippi. That's pretty neat. Have you ever been to Greenwood to see where your mom was from and your grandmother was from? For sure. Um, <laughs> summers were spent in Greenwood. Summers were spent traveling down um, Interstate 55 to Greenwood, Mississippi, um, and coming back at the end of summer. So yes, good stories from about Greenwood. I bet. Can you tell us a little bit about what you experienced in Greenwood? What's Greenwood like? If you had to sort of tell somebody who, like myself, who's never been there, what's it like? What it was like then, uh, I would say gravel roads. Gravel roads is one thing that comes to mind that speaks to me about, um, I don't want to call it underdeveloped, but you know, more, more country and less city, right? And so it was more laid back. It was more natural is the word that comes up, right? So there's a lot of, um, there still, there still was farming, there was more gardening, a lot of the things we ate were fresh out of my great aunt's backyard, you know, you sit on the porch and sip tea and shuck corn and, you know, snap peas. It was very, very heartwarming in Greenwood. Um, one of the worst punishments I ever got was it was uh, was down in Greenwood. There was a lot of uh, uh, integrity and uh, expectation in Greenwood as well. There was a pride in the Black community there. Um, and so, yeah, I, at one point I caught myself not living up to those expectations and um, caught one of the worst spankings I've ever had in my life in Greenwood, Mississippi. <laughs> Ouch. So you had some good memories and uh, some memories of some lessons as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, well, other than your good memories in Greenwood, yeah. can you think of some other fond memories that you had growing up in Chicago? Oh, my gosh. Oh, Chicago was just for me, it was a, it, it was just awesome, an awesome opportunity to explore. And, you know, there's definitely some, um, some I'll just say, not so great stories um, 
I, I can remember as well, but just, you know, some fond memories I have, what, you know, just access, access to, you know, the city downtown on the train and the, the dollar movie at the Chicago theater and um, access to museums and art and beach and Chicago just offered so much and we had access to so much. Um, riding my bicycle, I'm, I still love to ride my pedal bike, but riding my bicycle all throughout the neighborhoods, uh, the friends that you had all on different sides of the city. Uh, Chicago just offered so much, but for me, I would say fondest memories are bike riding or if it's teenage years, it was at the, I would just say the local dance hall. Um, were some of my fondest, fondest memories of Chicago. Terrific. Now, you mentioned about your mom that you had a, a pretty close relationship. Can you tell us about your mom? Oh, my gosh. My, my mom, who is um, my mom, who is no longer with me, uh, was if you would ask me years ago before she passed, I would have said, oh, my mom was peculiar. But as I've grown, I learned that I'm actually more like my mom <laughs> than I would have ever imagined. So I guess that makes me a little peculiar as well. She just was, um, she was such a go-getter. Anything that she aspired to do, she did. Um, by the time my mom passed away, I can't tell you, you know, all the things she was either certified or licensed to do. Because if she had a dream or a vision, there was no one who was going to stop her from pursuing it. And you know, we saw, when I say we, me and some of my, my family members, we saw that as odd. Um, we, we saw that as odd. And not just where that was the actions odd, but my mom had a certain personality to go along with the boldness that she had. Um, so the package seemed a little odd. I would want to question her, like, who, who are you to think you can do these type of things? You know, you're going to, now you're going to be a real estate agent, and now you're going to be a cosmetologist, and now you're going to run for older person, and now you're going to write a book, and now you, you know, and in my limited thinking at that time, it, it, it just, she felt odd. And, you know, you know, throughout her life, she was the underdog or the black sheep, and unfortunately, um, as a young child, I bought into the narrative about my mom and, and I, at times in my life, treated her like she was the black sheep. But, you know, I just thank God that toward the end of her life, she lived with me for about five to six years before she passed away. And when I spoke at her funeral, I remember saying, I, I thank God for giving me a time to stop judging my mom and start loving my mom. And so it was toward the end of her life that I started to appreciate who she truly was. That is so nice. And then, as you said, you started seeing that you obviously caught a lot of who she was and it has become part of who you are and the things that you do, which we're going to hear about in a minute, which is amazing. Uh, you mentioned something about there were some not such good things that happened in Chicago. Are you okay with sharing a little bit about that, Delilah? I, I am. I am. You know, a, a few things stand out to me. Um, about not so good things in Chicago, just that same safety that I spoke about, you know, seeing it in a different lens. When I was coming up, um, I would say probably age 12 and under, it was a safety. There was a safety. So if I was 12 or under, you would be talking 70s and 80s. Um, and so that, that safety was there. But at some point, some of your listeners may know and some of your listeners may, may not know, but at some point, um, the crack epidemic came through and totally devastated Black communities. And so the people you used to trust 
um, may now have been addicted to drugs and could no longer be trustworthy. The communities we had were shattered due to this um, epidemic that came through. And so that led to you know, people passing away, that led to broken relationships, um, that led to young men and women um, living a life that was less desirable, right? Um, either selling or hooked on drugs. It just totally changed the Chicago I knew, West Side of Chicago I knew from the age of 12 and under. It was a totally different experience, 13 and up. Yeah, so the people who used to have your back, you didn't know whether or not you could trust them anymore. Yeah, and and honestly, um, I believe that the Black community still is suffering from the impact of that. Delilah, you're in high school years at this point, and you're dealing with some of that change and the loss of some of that safety. What were your high school years like, and uh, what kind of things were you interested in in high school? So high school to me, in elementary school, was going to be a different experience than what was actually lived. Uh, Again, you know, my family had hustled and, you know, worked hard to send me to private school from kindergarten to eighth grade. And when it came time to apply for high schools, they were going to send me also to a Catholic um, high school. And I begged, no, please allow me to go to a public school. I got accepted into the number one and number two schools in Chicago at that time, public schools. And so they agreed to let me go to public school. So you think, you know, she's off to do great things. We've invested all this time and money and energy into her. And yeah, freshman year was good. By sophomore year, I had met um, my now husband. He was my boyfriend. I was in love with him. He was the center of my world. He made some bad decisions that took him away from high school and and I followed. So ultimately I end up um, dropping out of high school. But I remember when I first went in into high school, it was, you know, although I've always been a leader, I've always had this desire to belong. And so I could remember, you know, I being in chorus and being in uh, other activities looking for um, somewhere to belong. And so freshman year that really netted out for me and some good relationships and by sophomore year, I just started to make some not so great decisions. Lila, you told us you're a lot like your mom and there's a lot of that go-getting and uh, sort of reaching out for things. And I know for a fact that you're involved in some wonderful ministries and things like that. Now, can you walk us through the time period between where your high school wasn't going so well, not kind of what you thought it was going to be and you weren't kind of doing what you thought you'd be doing and walk us to the change that happened in your life to sort of bring you back to that focus that you had when you were in grade school and, and things like that. Can you take us through that? Oh, I can. And I'll do my best to make it a concise journey because there's so many bits and pieces to go into that. (laughs) But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I never stopped being a leader I can look back at my life and see, you know, myself um, in either, you know, like a a brownie scout or on the block, we would do what we call cheers would be kind of, you know, local cheerleading. I I could see myself leading there. I could see myself um, in the not so pleasant times in, in high school doing not such great things, leading those things. And so I never lost 
this inside energy or, or drive to be a leader um, and to do more, no matter good or bad. If it was, if I was in it, I was going to do more. I was going to be the best and I was going to lead it. And so I found myself pregnant with my oldest son um, at the age of 19. Coincidentally, that's the age my mom got pregnant with me. And, you know, this need to, this need to provide for him really kind of, you know, helped me refocus on um, things that, things that mattered more, um, a future, a life. Uh, and I was by myself at the time. I remember when um, DeKente was born, Kenneth was my boyfriend at the time, actually was locked up. As I talked about, you know, the crack epidemic came through and it took lives either by doing drugs or by incarceration or by, by death. Some of my friends are not here today. Um, and so I found myself being a single mom and um, driving back and forth to jail every weekend for um, my boyfriend to have a relationship with his son. And, um, and, and you know, it was, it was really DeKente that kind of, my oldest son that really kind of got me back on the more narrow and more straight. I'm not going to go so far as to call it the straight and narrow um, <laughs> because there there was this gap between growing up and maybe early 30s that I knew I knew God. We talked about ministries. I knew God, but I didn't have a relationship with God. So I was more in the straight and narrow than I was in high school when I had to Kente. But um, I would say he really was the catalyst of, uh, Delilah, you got to do something different here. You know, there's a life depending on you. Right. And what are some of those different things that you started to do? I started to, you know, pull away from some of the people that I was, I was hanging out with, you know, it's, it's so true when you, when we hear people say, you know, birds of the feather, right. They, they flock together and how we're influenced by the people around us. Um, and, and so I, I went back, I remember um, going back to get my GED when I was pregnant with Jacinta and getting my GED. From there, um, I got a job, a temporary job at a then Fortune 500 company, making a nice piece of change. And so I was focused on, you know, dropping my son off at daycare, going to work, picking my son up from daycare. Um, so it's it was providing a life for him that really required me to refocus and not have so much time available to just to just hang out like I was hanging out before. Right. That must have been very tiring and difficult to have a job and a young son and making sure your your son had a relationship with his dad at the time and you know breaking away from some old relationships did you start to move toward more positive relationships to replace the not so positive relationships um ultimately i i believe my response would be ultimately i did that i did to a degree start to do that. Um, I may have not seen that kind of really tip a scale until five, six years later after I had to Kente and, uh, and became a mother. Um, yeah, and so those relationships do matter, but things take time, right? Things take time, changing behavior, um, changing habits, it takes time. Sometimes it's not an overnight thing. But ultimately, you know, once you start to pivot and focus in a direction, you just momentum takes you, you know, further, further the other way. Um, so ultimately, yeah, the relationships change. Now, uh, as you were working, did you continue to work for the same company? Did you stay there? Did you move into another field? What did you do? 
Yeah, I um, I'm no longer there. My uh, temporary assignment actually ended. Kenneth eventually got out of prison. Um, and so he came, I remember he came home and my oldest son was almost four years old. And we made a decision to move to Indiana with his mom. And so we went to Indiana um, two to three months from arriving in Indiana, found out we were pregnant with my second son. Oh, okay. And um, and I was working in this very physical job, manual job. And, and so I quit. I quit the job. I was pregnant. I'm like, I, I can't do that. And I found myself actually on welfare. And while on welfare, the welfare office had this program, welfare to work program, where basically corporations, businesses came in and um, had this set aside time where welfare recipients could sign up and apply for, for jobs. And so I went to this welfare to work program and it had to be October of 1997 where my now employer was a part of the, um, the program. United Airlines was a part of the program. Um, I signed up, I got a job uh, working for United as a reservation sales and service representative, RSSR. Um, paying me a whopping $6.35 an hour. And I started there December 1st, 1997. And 23 plus years later, I'm still here with United. Oh, wow. That is amazing. Delilah, you told me in a previous discussion we had that you moved to Hawaii. Can you tell us what brought you there? Oh, um, <laughs> there's a journey in going to Hawaii, um, a personal, professional, and spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. I found myself, there was a, a period of time where um, my husband and I had separated and, um, you know, I was just seeking, I, I was just seeking God for direction. This would have been 2016. I had, you know, eventually gotten back, as I said, um, you know, gotten back into a relationship with God by the time I was mid-30s, um, really found myself there through a relationship I had with a friend and her church was providing Taekwondo lessons. And, and so I was taking my youngest son to these lessons and ultimately just started going to church. It was in the church, the Taekwondo lessons were in the church and ultimately just started going for Christmas and Easter and events and then found myself just thirsty and hungering for more of God. Yeah. It's amazing how God brings us uh, to him sometimes, I mean, whether it be a Taekwondo class or some friend just invites you to a potluck supper. Or he uses a lot of different ways. So, so take us from there. Yeah. And, and so I, I got this relationship going on with God. I'm, I'm praying to him about the condition of my heart and what's, what's next for me. And, I take what I what I call a sabbatical, where I take these three days off, and I take myself to Lake Geneva, uh, Wisconsin, and I'm in this room, just me, God, and my Bible, and I'm asking God for direction on um, my marriage and my life and what's next. And I get this unprompted call uh, the second day that I'm there, saying, you know, hey, Delilah, we have this opportunity in Hawaii. Uh, would you be interested in going? It was my my manager at the time who was calling to ask. And it was, you know, I hadn't applied for this position. I haven't hadn't expressed interest in the field that the position was in. And I just knew it was God saying, this is the next move. 
Um, and so I found myself actually crying. Um, and I remember my, my boss asking me, are you, are you crying? And I'm like, you have no idea. I actually told him, you have no idea how God is using you right now, was my response. And so I came home from the sabbatical and told everybody I was moving to Hawaii. You know, the family was looking at me like, what, is she, what does she mean? She just went away for three days. <laughs> and so I went, I went to Hawaii, first time ever living by myself because I had gone from my mom to Kenneth and had never lived by myself. And he and I um, existed while I was in Hawaii. He was still in Chicago. We were traveling back and forth. And God used that time really to heal both of us as individuals and bring our marriage back together. Because when I left going to Hawaii, actually left with the mind of we were still separated and who knows what was going to happen to the marriage, but God performed a miracle. So what was it like in Hawaii? Oh my gosh. Um, was there almost four years, totally different pace. The heart of the people, very, very warming, very caring. You know, everything's good if you got, you know, a beach and mountains as your backdrop. So it was, it was a very picturesque, a very nice place to be, but unbeknownst to me, it was also a place that was on fire for God and learned so much more about what it is like to live a faith-based life, like true faith and the importance of discipleship and community in the church. God did so much for me in Hawaii. Like I, I'll, I'll never forget Hawaii. That's wonderful. So your family joined you in Hawaii? Yeah. Um, the last year we all were there. My oldest son joined, my oldest son showed up like three months after I, I got there. Um, although I had given the direction to everyone, like no one moved for the first eight months. Let me figure out what we're doing before anybody packs up and comes. But Dickensay was there in the first three months. But in the last year, my husband and both sons, uh, we lived in Hawaii together. And that was the first time Kenneth and I actually lived as husband and wife after the separation or was in Hawaii. So Delilah, you're back in New Jersey now. So some people are probably, now I love New Jersey and I, it's my home state, but I know probably some of our listeners are saying, why did you come back to New Jersey from Hawaii? What brought you back? And what kind of ministries started to sprout out of your heart during that time? Yeah. Chronologically, I'm going to answer um, the second question first. Okay. So with the ministry, with Delilah's Downloads, um, I remember the first 2016, the first Thanksgiving coming from Chicago back to the island. I came home to Chicago for Thanksgiving and I was on the plane and the plane was about to take off and I was journaling, talking with God. And he said, you're going to launch this ministry and it's called Delilah's Downloads. And I'm, I'm just writing this out. And, I, and I'm like, well, how is, how is I like, I'm so new back to relationship with you, Lord. Like, how is this going to happen? And he's like, well, as I'm teaching you, you'll teach others. And it's just a 10 minute share. Every He had given me the day of the week, um, the duration, told me it would come from my devotional time. And I was just to share um, what came from my devotional time. And at the end of the day, what I uh, aspire to do with Delilah's downloads is really take the word of God and make it life, uh, make it life application, right? Take the mystery and, you know, all of that away from it and just say, you know, hey, here's the word. Here's what God shared with me on how I can walk this out. And I would like to share it with you in hopes that it helps you in your journey with, um, with your relationship and with your life. 
Um, so the ministry was birthed traveling from Chicago back to Honolulu. And I just started. Remember the very first video I did because Delilah's downloads heavily relies on blogs. I learned that terminology, right? Video blogs with blogs. And I remember um, getting prepared for the very first one. And I was pacing through my house and I was looking for the perfect light and, you know, doing all of these things to get prepared. And the Holy Spirit was just like, what are you doing? This is not about you. Just sit down and I'll take it from there. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And and so it started. And here we are, you know, over four years later and Delilah's Downloads is um is still in full effect. And I and I did bring it with me as I transitioned from Honolulu um, here to Jersey. And you're right. I, I get asked often, like, why would you ever leave Honolulu to come to New Jersey? And I respond, the same reason I went to Hawaii is the reason I left. It, it was a move of God. It was time for me to go. And Jersey was the place. There was actually three offers on the table, three promotions on the table when I came to New Jersey. And I remember um, asking God and him saying that, you know, Kenneth is going to, you know, say he doesn't know why, but I think we should go to New Jersey. And I came out of prayer one morning and I'm just like, babe, what do you think we should do? And his response was, I don't know why, but I think we should go to New Jersey. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Based on that, we came to New Jersey. <laughs> uh, well, I'm so glad God pointed you back to New Jersey because I would not have met you and Kelly would yeah. not have met you. And uh, you're just such a wonderful friend. Delilah, in an earlier conversation, you told me about your Aunt Louise and how much of an impact Aunt Louise had on your life and your faith. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Yes. Um, so Aunt Louise, I, I finally refer to her as T because she is my Aunt T. And so I'll bottom line and then I'll back into it. I was talking to my husband the other day after talking with T and I told him, you know, everybody needs a T and everybody should be a, a T to someone. My aunt Louise, my T has been a bedrock for me my entire life. Someone who, you know, you would, would be in your corner cheering you on, someone you're able to lean on in the, the hard times and cry, someone who would take you to, you know, the places that you normally wouldn't get exposure to and, you know, dinners and teas and things like that. But um, probably most importantly, Aunt Louise served as my intercessor and still does. And if you're not, if listeners aren't familiar with the term intercessor, I'm someone who prays for you. And so during those times where I was out in the world and didn't really have a relationship with God, I firmly believe it was part of her intercessory, her prayers that brought me back to a relationship with God. So we call it standing in the gap. You know, she stood in the gap for me. And so, you know, not just from a physical standpoint that she exposed me to so many things culturally that um, I wouldn't have had without tea, but spiritually really, um, really stabilized me, brought me back to a relationship with God. And now it's so exciting when we, when we talk with one another, how she's just, you know, she's like, you, you always just bring me so much joy just to see the manifestation of her prayers and be able to fellowship with the manifestation of her prayers that exist inside of me. And so um, when you ask about Aunt Louise T, it really puts a smile in my heart 
um, because I can immediately reflect back on. And uh, when I say reflect back on just as of yesterday and years before that, um, everything that she's done for me and continues to do through me, she's a huge part of who I am today. I absolutely love that. And when you said everybody should have a T, that really struck me when you said that. I think that's why it's important for people to search their own hearts and say, could I be a T to somebody else? And I think that person is you. You're a T. Thanks, James. That means a lot. I just wanted to go back to Delilah's downloads a little bit. So do you have a target audience for Delilah's download? I do. I have a target audience for Delilah's downloads. It's a little bit more gray for me than the leader appears, which is the um, my coaching business. But Delilah's downloads um, really targets women. Um, it does. And I, and I try to be inclusive. I, I, I really do. And sometimes you'll see my posts and I'm like, and guys, you too. But, it, you know, I'm, I'm a woman. Um, and so I feel as though my audience looks like me. And it's a little bit broader with Delilah's downloads. Looks like me would be women. But when I transition over to the leader of peers, which is the coaching business that I, um, success coaching, I call it success coaching that I launched in 2020, it can be a, a little bit more laser focused that women, those that are in entry to mid-level professional uh, positions who may not um, had the best coaching or mentoring in their career that need a little help. And so it gets a little bit more laser focused on the leader of peer side than it does on Delilah's downloads. I see. Can you give us your website? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm everywhere. So people can find out more about me at DelilahBartlett.com or social media. I'm everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. There are ways to find me. If it's YouTube, it's Delilah's downloads. Um, actually, if it's Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook, it would be Delilah's Downloads. Um, but there's plenty of content out there just really looking to help people identify their purpose and just unveil their potential to tap into what's possible. That's If somebody were to ask me to bottom line it, I'm trying to help people see what's possible and come out of average and mediocre. There's, uh, there are great people out here with a ton of potential to change the world, their families and the world around them, and I'm just trying to help them do that. That's really terrific, Delilah. So would you say that some of your earlier experiences in life, uh, some of the, the good things and the challenging things really prepare you uniquely really to help people in this way? Absolutely. There are a few things that come up when you ask that question. One um, is just the level of audacity, the boldness and courage to just step out and, and just do new, great, creative things. That definitely was fostered over the years of coming up of um, being bold and courageous then to do the, you know, the great things and the not so great things. And, and, you know, I said a little bit earlier that that leader had always been inside and, and just the ability to get out and lead and the ability to, to take a hit, but keep going, right? And, and to, to continue to do life and see successes in life said that, you know, I could be successful here you know, and, and then I would say some of the, um, I call it positioning that I did for myself, dropping out of high school, coming into the corporate arena without a degree, having success there and 
learning things along the way that, you know, no one taught me in a classroom or um, maybe I didn't have someone actually taking me under their wing to teach me, but I just learned along the way. It just ignites me to avoid that situation happening with other people, right? So to come alongside them and equip them with the information and wisdom that I've garnered over the last two, three decades to say, hey, it doesn't have to take you two to three decades. I can give you this information now to help you along the way. You know, Delilah, there's so many people out there who have experiences, who have had experiences that have been difficult or challenging, and they've they've managed through hard work, through prayer, through great mentors, through friends, through whatever, uh, have turned their lives around. And when you think about it, how important it is for people like that to maybe reach out and share with other people who may be in the midst of those problems or maybe approaching those problems to help them not make the same mistakes or to grow from the mistakes that they have made. And I think what you're doing is so wonderful and it's so inspiring to me and I'm sure to the people who are part of your ministries, shall I say. And I wanna ask you this question, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh my gosh. And it's not the first time I've, I've been asked that question. And oftentimes I'm more concerned about how to structure the response and the response itself. And so I'll say, I want my legacy to be that she helped people realize their potential and chase their possible. And what I see that, if you were asking me about a vision, I see communities healed, families healed by helping the individuals that serve them. Well, that's a great legacy, and uh, you're living it now. <laughs> you absolutely are. You've got a heart for other people. I've seen it in action. And you're an amazing woman. You're an amazing friend. And I know one of the most tragic things, I think, is when people uh, leave, they have an enormous potential, or they have a gift, or a talent, whether it be with people, with music, with sports, with business savvy, what have you. There's a lot of people who maybe don't have the confidence to really display uh, what it is that they have to offer. And it could be something that is so sad to think that something has not been spent, that, that they have that in them and, and that they're afraid to do it. And I think what you're doing is wonderful because you're encouraging people to be bold. And it certainly sounds like you got some of your mom in you. <laughs> but uh, also a lot of your own, just your personality and your positive attitude and your faith is just very inspiring. And I want to thank you so much for being a guest on our show. And could you just again, for our listeners, let them know how they can find you and learn about your success coaching and Delilah's downloads. Can you just repeat that for our listeners again, please? Sure. Um, I'd be glad to um, connect with anyone. You can find me or more information about me on DelilahBartlett.com. I'm certain my name is in print somewhere um, in this interview. So as simple as it is, just DelilahBartlett.com. Or you can find me on social media, Facebook or Instagram at Delilah's Downloads, um, or on YouTube at, at Delilah's Downloads. And I'd be happy to connect with anyone there. Well, thank you again. And I hope people do connect with you. It's been a pleasure, James. I thank you for setting the time aside. Absolutely. And I hope you have a great day.
You too. All right, Delilah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, for all of our listeners, keep discovering and telling stories that inspire you and others. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. Please subscribe, share, and check out our website at yourhistoryyourstory.com for episode notes and bonus content. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.